Hello, thanks for joining us for this exponential podcast. We have called this podcast Minimalist, Mega, and Micro. I'm honored to be joined today by the illustrious Rob Wegner. We're going to introduce him in a minute, and we're going to have a lot of fun today talking about things that people who love the church care about. And then this is my colleague and buddy, Dave Edwards, who we get to to serve together and do a lot of cool things together. Uh, Rob Wegner has written some great books on this idea of decentralization, uh, the starfish and the spirit, the most recent one that we'll talk about later. But I'm intrigued by this. In fact, I planted a church called Church Project in 2010, which is a church of house churches. And so our whole idea is how do we distribute leadership to people and how do we stay decentralized? But today we're going to be begging out the question, what level of centralization is necessary for a really healthy organism in a church to move forward and how decentralized and distributed should we be? Rob founded Kansas City Underground, and he is incredible at distributing leadership to people in a decentralized network. And so we're going to talk about a little bit of where the middle might be in this and how far maybe we need to move further this way and uh, what we can learn from each other. I've been around Rob a little bit in person through Exponential. I was with Rob in Austin months ago and then with him in Nashville not too long ago. And I found Rob to be this. I found him to be super nice, very genuine, really humble, and deeply passionate about the construct of the church, things that I care about and that you care about. And so, Rob, thanks for joining us today. I know you got a lot of places you got to be. I know you have another thing right after this. And so thank you for fitting us in. Thank you for caring about this and wanting to have the conversation. Would you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do now, and just a little subset of how you got to where you are? Yeah, you bet. Uh, It's great to be with you. You forgot to mention I'm also a goofball. Uh, so I have not found that to be true. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking about all the, the name of the show, all the M's it's like mega micro minimalist and also Mandalorian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you are a good ball. All right. (laughs) Um, my, uh, my wife, uh, Michelle is my best friend and, uh, she's a very gifted, uh, artist, photographer, writer. Uh, she's actually finishing up her, seminary degree right now in uh, soul care and spiritual formation. Um, we have three daughters, Madeline, Whitney, and Belle. So 23, 21, 17. Uh, so they're amazing. Um, they uh, just inspire me every day with the way that they live into the love of Jesus. And uh, we've been in Kansas city seven years. I was on staff at a large church and I, they kind of let me be the resident mad scientist, which was uh, amazing. And I was helping them move into uh, church planning movements internationally. And I said, hey, and I just, I just want to train people in Kansas City to do the same thing. And what happened over a number of years is this uh, decentralized network of microchurches began to emerge just from ordinary people living like loving neighbors, uh, knowing how to live incarnationally, knowing how to be gospel fluent and make new disciples in a new context. And when you do that, what happens is a microchurch emerges. So this network of microchurches began to emerge. And then um, my recommendation with church leaders a lot of times is, hey, you know, you can do all of this stuff completely underneath the surface. You don't have to like change your structures. You don't have to like do a big weekend series. But what happens is when you get a few years into it, 
then you have to start asking questions of like, are we going to reconfigure what we're doing? Are we going to release this? So it seemed wisest to us and the elders of that church, let's release this and let's set up a new organization in the city. We didn't organize it. We weren't a church plant. We basically started a mission agency in Kansas City to help ordinary people discover their masterpiece mission where God has already sent them and to equip them uh, to be disciple makers um, in new contexts and then to see micro churches emerge. We've been going two and a half, two and three fourths uh, years as the Kansas City Underground. And it's been amazing. I'm so grateful. It's the most like heart deep surrendered to Jesus community of people I've ever been a part of. And I just feel like we're on the heels of the Savior watching amazing things happen. So it's really fun to be with you guys today. That's great. That's a fun place to be. And I've experienced uh, some of those feelings as well in the church. It took me a while to feel that after, you know, decades of working in the church. I'm feeling that now and have been since we started this, not without struggles, as I'm sure you have. Yeah. Um, you know, we're hearing these words a lot, words that I didn't hear a long time ago. Um, in fact, when we said house church right here, when we said we're, we will be a church of house churches, uh, nobody knew what that meant. And um, but and and not long ago, I didn't hear the word micro church. I mean, within the last few years, so we're we've always had an idea in our mind of church that we've been trying to define and redefine that, and then we've had our ideas of house church, and then we have our ideas of micro church. So when we get down to some minimum ecclesiology, like at its base, at its purest form, what would you say a church is? So. Uh... Our operational definition is a micro church is an extended spiritual family. It's led by ordinary people. They're seeking to live in everyday gospel community and to own the mission of Jesus in a network of relationships. So fundamentally, the church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's not a place. One of our catchphrases, you can't go to something you are. Yeah. Um, so we are the church and fundamentally it's an extended spiritual family that's built around the Lordship of Jesus, his presence, his headship, his leadership. Yeah. And the goal is in a meeting. Do micro churches have meetings? Yep. Actually a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, but the goal is that this family is living together into everyday gospel community. Um, and that means they're living out all those one another commands um, on a daily basis in the nitty gritty stuff of life. It's led by ordinary people, so it's completely bivocational, co-vocational. We don't use the title of pastor um, in our movement, and we can get into the reasons for that later. Yeah, let's um, And then lastly, they're owning the mission of Jesus. So, like, there's a particular network. It might be an affinity group. It might be hyper-local, geographic. Uh, but the goal is to make new disciples there and to manifest the kingdom of God in tangible ways. So that's what a microchurch is for us. And it, they're uh, very diverse in terms of like the, the expression, but at the, at the core of it, it's the same, you know, and the three purposes of worship, community, and mission is how we kind of double click on the mission of Jesus. So worship is moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of life, Romans 12, one and two. A community, again, is living into the 90-something one another commands. And then mission for us is make disciples and manifest the kingdom. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I think it's good to have that articulation. And, uh, you know, I think ecclesiology matters to all of us, which is our, uh, some defined doctrine of what the church is. And 
I think maybe you've seen it. I've seen it a lot in reaction to a lot of what we've seen that is probably not the church. People have constructed some things, but they're not able to articulate this based on some biblical definition of church. And so you have here just helped some people, I think, articulate an ecclesiology. And I think we have to, not just a philosophy of church, but an ecclesiology, like where is this coming from? What is the church? What did we see in scripture they were doing? And you've talked about what the church is not. You know, one of the things you're hitting on is you have some centralization happening um, here. Uh, I mean, you're helping people do this. So what is the necessary centralization? And this is why I ask, because in our church of house church world, we find a lot of house churches people who are disconnected from other people, and there's no centrality that connects them. So there's not accountability, there's not encouragement, there's not discipleship and teaching and leadership. And you have some centrality here because you're helping this happen. Uh, what does centrality look like for you and why is it important? I'm going to pull up this picture and uh, I think it'll help explain the kind of decentralized and centralized framework. Um like you guys, uh, we're longing to see a decentralized network of missional leaders and microchurches fill our city. Like our basically Kansas City underground, our mission is to fill Kansas City with the beauty, justice, and good news of Jesus. So we, we see Kansas City like an aquarium. And then in Ephesians chapter one, it says that we are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything every way. So we just want to see our whole city filled with the beauty, justice, the good news of Jesus. Our vision then is a missionary in every street and a microchurch in every network of relationships. That would actually make it so that every single man, woman, boy, and girl could actually see, hear, experience, and yeah. respond to the gospel. And so by missionary, it's an unreached, or rather it's an ordinary person who lives among an unreached pocket of people. So they plant themselves among an unreached pocket of people to plant the gospel and make new disciples. Yeah. So we don't plant microchurches. We plant missionaries. When they make new disciples in a new context, what happens is the microchurch emerges. And we talked about that it's an extended spiritual family. As those begin to add and then multiply, let's say either in a hyper-local geography or let's say in an affinity group, we actually organize that into a network that we call collective. Um, and at the collective level, that's where you begin to have uh, what we would call governing elders, uh, that's where they begin to have a shared of uh, shared resources. They can do shared gatherings if they want to. Yeah. Um, and those collectives provide that kind of really intimate, a close span of care. And it's and it's elders who have actually lived into the elder lifestyle. So it's like Paul in Acts 14, after his first missionary trip, he goes back and then he lays hands on. Like who actually became an elder? Like who actually eldered? Not like they got voted in or they happen to own a small business and we're successful in the marketplace. So we're going to go ahead and just make them an elder in the church. And, and I'm saying that lightheartedly, but you know, that's a lot of what happens to actually, Absolutely. Like, no, these, they're actually spiritual parents. Like they have a lineage and now these micro churches, like I'm in the West Shawnee collective. So like in a three mile radius, there's um, five micro churches here. That's a collective. Um, we have another collective that's called share the hope. And that's among the formerly incarcerated and the incarcerated. And there's eight micro churches in that collective. And then there's the hub and the hub is the mission agency. 
And the hub fundamentally is an apostolic equipping team that equips and fuels the missionaries, the microchurches, and the collectives. And what we're doing is we're multiplying those equipping teams or hubs around our city. Uh, so right now we have three hubs. We're training teams for four other hubs so that missionaries and microchurches, like every collective, will have a hub that's proximate to their part of the city. So the hub is not like a church building or a church plant. It's like a little mission agency yeah. to support the missional movement in that part of the city. So that's the dynamic there. We have like this centralized support with these hubs, Yeah, you know, to support. It's like the trellis to support this growing movement. Well, thank you for pulling that graphic up or those graphics. That's helpful and clear. Helps us understand what you're doing. Can we compare and contrast this a little bit? 365,000 existing churches or so in America. Um, a lot of statistics about what's happening in the normal, typical, traditional model. Even if you're contemporary, traditional in form or, you know, expression, there seems to be this structure that is consistent across denominations, across styles. And if, if your graphic was back up, I would ask you, where is where is this um this centrality where you where you are calling? Is there any way for you to pull the graphic back up and we can yeah, here and contrast yeah. all these things? You're so the hub you. for me in most churches. So let's just assume a lot of the people who are watching are in an existing church. Is the hub is that their staff right now? Is that their centrality? And where is the breakdown happening? Do you think? Rob, in a lot of churches, I mean, I think we're not sending missionaries. Uh, we don't have expressions of microchurch, and people aren't really connected with any intentionality across the city. I think there's some breakdown of those things. But the hub, I think that's the closest thing to what some people are thinking. Okay, that's the church. Do you think that's where this is, or where's the interconnectedness here? Yeah, uh, it, to be really point blank, our hub uh is in no way like a typical congregation. So for example, um, our hub does not have, there's no weekend service. Right. We do have what's called an equipping gathering. So the equipping gathering is it's equipping and training for the missionaries and the microchurch leaders. And we have this training pathway. It's called the missionary pathway. There's five different phases of training. We have tools and frameworks for all five phases. We're constantly training our, our missional leaders and our microchurch leaders in those five phases and the skills of basically planting the gospel, making disciples. And then once a microchurch emerges, how do we uh, care for this family and sustain this family that multiply this family? So an equipping gathering, if you were to come in, you know, you would hear missional leaders and microchurch leaders telling stories from all over the city of like where God's at work and how they joined him. Yeah. Uh, and then we would probably say like, hey, today we're in phase two, live as a missionary. And we're going to be hitting on uh, this particular skill set. And we do training. It's very interactive and there's debrief groups and there's role playing and people write I will statements like, OK, here's what the Holy Spirit said to me today. And here's how I'm going to live it out in my context. Um, and then we that hub is made up of equipping teams. So most teams have, for example, a personal like a hub would have a personal discovery team, helping missionaries discover their masterpiece mission, where they've been sent, 
um, helping them get a good read on their own kind of spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, financial health, kind of tending to their soul. Then we have a team that's called Startup Coaching. So we're going to help you get going on the missionary pathway. We have, for example, a seven-week training huddle that we use to orient new missionaries. Then we have ongoing coaching. So every missionary microchurch in the underground is in a coaching circle with other practitioners. Uh, we have financial services. Uh, so the missionaries in the microchurches do give to the Kansas City underground, but half of our budget is grants that go back out to the missionaries in the microchurches that they can apply for. Um, and then most of the rest of the budget is actually this service platform to provide equipping for the collectives, the microchurches, and the missionaries. So the thing that would feel most like church to most people is if they were to go to a collective gathering, like Share the Hope has a collective gathering. And they'd walk in and people sing together and, and then uh, someone might get baptized and then someone gets up and preaches and you know what I mean? And people would be like, yeah, this is church, you know, but for us, that's actually secondary. The yeah. primary thing is the microchurch. And if microchurches also want to get together and do a collective gathering, awesome. And then the hub is there to provide the coaching, the support, the equipping for the collectives. Like we, for example, will train the governing elders. So the hub basically operates like eldership until the collective emerges. Yeah. Um, so we're weird. We don't like fit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I don't feel like I fit. I don't feel like I fit anywhere either. And so, <laughs> and I, and I, I've gotten to where I like that at first I was like, ah, nobody understands me and I don't understand others or want to, but now I sort of, I sort of like that not to just be contrarian, but I don't really know where I fit either. And I love what you're doing and I love what we're doing and they're different in so many ways. But I think one of the great similarities, like what you just said is our actual, the epicenter of what we do is in our house churches. I mean, we have just, we have trusted, entrusted, equipped, identified, empowered people to do the work of ministry. So we've distributed this leadership. So our hub um, is really how do we, I was at a lunch with one of my mentors and one of our pastors in our hub was meeting with a leader who, of a house church. Like we're here supporting, undergirding, lifting up all the house church leadership and ministry leaders in the city. Like we want to, we take money in, um, but we keep a much smaller portion than most churches do. And we distribute it out to all the ministries that are happening in the city. But it is a scary thing, if you will uh, use that word. I do. I did at least early on to entrust leadership, pastoral leadership to people. And I'll tell you, for me, one of the big differences is people have had to get used to this guy's a medical doctor by day, but he's my pastor. This guy's an engineer. He works at Exxon, but he's my pastor. You know, these people, she's discipling me. Um, and, and so we have all this stuff happening um, by people who aren't clergy, but um, we're able to have less people in what I would say, according to your definition, would be a hub for us, at least the closest thing. We have very few people doing that because we're empowering hundreds of people. We've distributed the leadership. I think it's a scary thing when people first step into that. Let's say somebody's in a traditional church. Let's just say they attend it, uh, but they're feeling like something's missing and they step into what you're doing. What is the hardest thing for a person to get used to who's grown up in a sort of traditional conventional environment of church? And then what's the hardest thing for somebody like me and you who left that environment? What's the hardest thing? Let's talk about a 
parishioner first. Well, I'll go back to our origin story because I think it'll help explain it. So when we left Westside Family Church when we were launched out, um, three microchurches came with us. The rest of them stayed connected to Westside, which we were like, that's awesome. You know, and then we had some information meetings um, and we ended up with 72 committed missionaries. So we had three microchurches, 72 committed missionaries, and we started our equipping gathering. Um, It took a while, for example, in the equipping gathering for people to realize like, oh, Rob's just not going to get up and preach. And we're not just going to sing like they're actually training us to do stuff (laughs) and they're expecting us to actually go and do it and then come back and report in. So that was a shift from like teaching and preaching to actually equipping and training. And for most people at first, it's like, whoa, whoa, this is like higher accountability. It's more intense and it feels disorienting to a lot of Christians. Some Christians even get offended by it. It's like, what do you, who do you think you are? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we've had that. Sure. Sure. Right. Right. People leave because we ask them to do too much. Right. It's like, well, he said, teach to obey. So that's what we're doing. Exactly. Right. The second thing that disoriented people was they wanted us to organize them into microchurches. And it's like, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to like take you into all of the three microchurches because you actually blow up the work of what's happening in that context. If we drop 20 new people into it from all sorts of different relational networks around the city, because our microchurches tend to be like very, like it's in this neighborhood or it's in this affinity group. So that was a tension we had to ride where it's like, no, we're actually going to walk with you. You'll have this tribe of missionaries like the 72 that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to walk with you on this missionary pathway until you make new disciples and see missionary. I mean, see a church emerge. And that was really scary for all of us because yeah. most of them are like, I can't do this. I'm not. But no. I've never seen that done before. Has that ever even been done before? <laughs> it feels that way in America. It's like, oh. has anyone done this? But I'm so glad we held the line on that because what happened is it took 12 months or more, but all people started making new disciples and new contacts and new spiritual families started emerging. And people are like, God does the same things here that he does in India. Who knew? Uh, like, who knew? Uh, <laughs> we right. can do this. Very cool. You know? Right. And now it's like, it's, you know, it's amazing. Uh, it's become a new normal, a new culture. So I think those are the two things, like the shift from preaching, teaching to equipping and training. And then this whole thing of like, I'm actually a, a missionary. I'm actually a disciple maker. And if I do that, I'll actually end up being an elder. Like I will have a new extended spiritual family. And, uh, and that's just mind boggling for people because most of them have not, they've just not seen that done in America. Yeah. Why not? I mean, what, what happened? I mean, what happened here? Paul's going into a town, sharing the gospel overnight. People come to Christ. He spends 24 hours discipling them sometimes, and he would leave in a a gospel movement. I'm out. See you guys. See you later. (laughs) And actually, Dave and I had lunch yesterday, and we talked about, you know, sometimes Paul would go in, like in Thessalonica, he spent three to four weeks there. And you know, he would, I, I say, Paul would always follow up in person uh, by pen, writing them a letter or in proxy by sending somebody because he cared about this good, gospel good. spreading here. But how did we get from, I mean, not too much church history, but I guess even why did we get from this kind of gospel spreading in a city without this mega centralization happening? How did we get where we are? 
And then I'm going to ask another question. How do we undo it? Right. So how how, how we and why did we get here? Yeah, I, I think two things. One is Christendom and the other one is corporation. So Christendom is like hey, the bishops shook hands with the Roman Empire and then right. the church started yeah. to look like the Roman Empire. So it's like we have hierarchy for the first time. Now we have dedicated church buildings for the first time. And it and it became more and more like a uh, the church was at the center of culture, you know, so it was more of like a caretaking kind of role. Yeah. Um, and then you get into like corporations beginning with the East Indians trading company and then the corporation becoming kind of the primary framework kind of in the backdrop and churches started to be remade in the image of corporations where the pastor now is perceived as like the entrepreneur, the CEO, and then this guy is the COO. And then, and, yeah. and then there's religious goods and services that are going to be offered by this religious corporation. And just that slow build of all of those things over time mm-hmm. um, centralized everything. Cause that's yeah. what, that's what corporations do. You know what I'm saying? And that's what Christians yeah. did. So we're swimming upstream yeah. against some huge cultural forces like that. No, I, I really like how you define that because I think in church, a lot of people who lead in churches are uh, a little bit bitter, frustrated, tired of the consumerism, but corporations are built for the consumer uh, to consume and approve of their goods or reject their goods. And so I think we have built churches to uh, cater to the consumer. And so I think if somebody's going to step out of that consumer church, consumer culture, which I wanted to, and um, I guess you wanted to, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it anymore, not to disparage what anybody is doing that I was a part of before, but I just, I was either going to completely quit serving Jesus and his church through the church or, uh, or what? I don't know. I just knew I couldn't keep doing it. And so I think I had, I became a little bit contrarian. I'm like, no, nothing consumeristic at all. Like, if you don't want this, uh, maybe later you will. But I mean, I just sort of got angry at the consumer culture of church and I countered it really far. And thankfully, God, you know, has healed some of that frustration and bitterness in me towards that. But I also, um, like, like you said earlier, there are some things that I wouldn't let go of uh, once we started. And I'm so glad I didn't. It took years. I mean, you started with 72 people, which sounds like a very biblical number. I started with another biblical number, which is 40 people. And so we had 40 people. We started two house churches. We got together, had a couple of meetings. I didn't know, but like six of these 40 people. And I said, you 20, you're in a house church, you 20 in a house church. And then we just started learning together what that would look like and then started multiplying house churches in our city, which yeah. was awesome. It was a lot of fun and it was scary, but I'm so glad that we just held on to it. Um, let's talk about this, Rob. And, and again, for me, these questions are coming from a lot of the conversations I have that people wonder, how do I go from where I am to where you are? Or how do I go from where I am to a different place? So people will often ask me, well, what's the value of the Sunday gathering? Because we, we have a, a weekly Sunday gathering, and I know you don't, but you're, you're not devaluing preaching or corporate worship, but how do you accomplish that in time and space? Because it's not just a philosophical gathered worship or a philosophical biblical teaching. How does that work for you? Well, first of all, I, I think long-term in the Kansas City Underground, 
we'll actually probably have more worship services than any large church in our city uh, because the collectives will be hosting these collective gatherings. And we're actually envisioning a very sort of uh, apostolic circuit riding kind of thing where like, for example, I'm like, I'll have a mess. I love to preach and I miss preaching. Actually. I miss teaching, you know, Um, like I'll have a message and it's like, man, I'm going to hit 20 collective gatherings in the next month. That's cool. You know what I'm saying? And then like, we're going to have someone who's more prophetic who's going to circulate like an epistle and then someone who's more evangelistic and someone who's a shepherd and someone who's a take. So it'd be this combination of local teachers from the collectives, but then some more apostolic voices yeah. that kind of float through the movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to that. And, cool. and just so y'all know, like if we have a collective gathering that grows to be a thousand people, it's like, awesome. Yeah. I'm not against that. That's great. As long as the microchurch stays primary and exactly. activation of God's people as disciple makers we made a strategic decision early. It's like, we're not going to do any collective gatherings for at least two to three years mm-hmm. so that the micro church becomes the primary. So the, the worship gathering of a micro church is very simple. Um, it's like the early church. It happens around a table in most cases. Um, it involves a shared meal. Mm-hmm. Um, it begins with a time of um, reflection on who God is in our life, which is the essence of worship. Um, we, it doesn't necessarily involve singing. Sometimes it's just simple questions of like, what are you thankful for? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And, and uh, what's your greatest need right now? Do, so you can bring that to God. Sometimes it's uh, like uh, it's reflective of the culture and um, the context uh, for example, it's like if this microchurch is into gardening, they'll actually go out into the garden and they're going to read the Psalms out loud together. You see what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to do that in my group. Like, I kill things that go into the ground. Yeah, that's yeah, right. a good thing. So it starts out with that sort of worship orientation, remembering who our God is. And then we always go to the scripture. The scripture is central. Um, we don't do, um, th- we're trying not to create any kind of codependent relationship with like a curriculum. Or yeah. with a video, it's like we're going right to the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's a discovery-based way of engaging the Bible. It's an obedience-based way of engaging the Bible in a sharing uh, ethic um, of, okay, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? How am I going to live into that? Who can I yeah. share this with? Now, we're if a microchurch wants to do a video series, they can. It's up to the microchurch leader. We're not against that. But when we're training them, it's like we're training first and foremost to be dependent on the word of God and the spirit of God. That's where we want to build a dependency. So every microchurch will do that in their worship gathering. Uh, And then it will typically go to prayer. So there'll be a time of prayer and intercession, both for the needs of that community and for their context. And then typically there's a planning for mission. Uh, So it's asking questions like, how can we serve in our context this week? You know, so our context is our neighborhood. It's going to be like, Lori's having surgery. Let's set up a meal train. You know what I mean? Or this widow needs help spring cleaning. Let's get together and go make that happen. And then also mission can be simple things like, hey, it's a a Halloween's coming up. Let's let's do some kind of Halloween party in our neighborhood and use that as a socially inclusive event to just Jesus stuff. Yeah. So it's basically three thirds. You know what I mean? It's like. We reorient around the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, we share a meal. Then we get right into the word of God and obedience. And then we pray and then we plan for mission. Bam. Simple. That's good. 
That, that is sounds a lot like a house church for us. I mean, that's right. a lot of those elements are the things that are happening in a house church across the city. Um, you know, we we gather geographically across our city, which constrains people to gather into diversity. We have rich and poor, young and old, married and unmarried, different colors, different cultures. Where You go to the house church closest to you, and you're going to find um, some person who is going to be identified as the pastor of that community to make sure all these things are happening well. And we hope all of those house churches continue to multiply. Um, and many of them have many times and some have not. And we press into those things because we want to have a house church in every neighborhood across our city. And we want everybody to have a great relationship with a Christ follower. And that's, mm-hmm. that's our vision, you know, for our city. And, One of my concerns, Rob, and I wonder if you're concerned about this. One of my concerns for the church in America is what's going to happen as this traditional, conventional model of church continues to deconstruct at the rate that it is. I don't believe the church itself is going to fail or fall. And I believe God is building uh, his church, believers all across our nation, I think there's a pruning happening, as many people have prayed for for years. But as the traditional construct of church is starting to deconstruct, and it has been for the last at least decade or so, what's going to happen? Um, I don't think we're going to be able to hang on to the things that we've hung on to. So what's going to happen? And what do we need to have happen? Yeah, I agree with you. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Lord already is unveiling, you know, the, fr- the fragility of the prevailing model of church. Again, I'm, I spent most of my adult life leading in that. So I'm not here to try to bash that, but we also have to be honest about um, the fact that it's not been very effective at making disciple makers it's not been very effective of actually equipping God's people for the works of service. And uh, it has been largely built around hierarchies with the power in the hands of one or two or three or four people. Um, and those are things, those weren't traits of the early church. And so like COVID's basically just revealed what we already knew. Um, and now the cultural shift is so dramatic that um we don't have the same kind of cultural influence we had in the past. So I think what's going to happen is, um, and it's already happening. You're going to see a lot of churches close and some of those people are going to shift um, like sheep shift. Uh, They're going to go look for a, another prevailing model church. There's going to be kind of a Walmartization of like, there will continue, I think to be some very large successful churches that are, you know, um, reproducing campuses and sites. And that will draw a certain group of people that really um, are drawn to that form of church. So it'd be kind of a consolidation. Um, But that will have the illusion of growing and making an impact. Yeah. But actually lostness is going to increase. You know what I mean? So this particular X brand church might like go, wow, they went from 30 campuses to 50 and they'll be like, it's a move of God. And right. <laughs> like, right. No, really people are just churches are closing and people are finding a new place to go. You know, yeah. 
think what's happening now is this, these fresh forms of church are starting to emerge. There's been a missional movement in America for about 40 years. And there's been a lot of experiments that have been done. And people that are very pragmatic, I used to be one of these guys, to be like, well, show me the fruit, show me the fruit. Where, where's it? My mega church is growing faster than whatever that dude's, that weird thing he's doing over there, you know? But what's happening is things like the underground movement that we're a part of, or Soma churches, or church project, there are more mature forms of these experiments now that are finally coming up above water. And um, I think we're going to see what used to only happen in India and Africa and China is going to start happening in America. Like we're going to actually see disciple making movements. That's our prayer for sure. It's coming. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the ways that things that's happened in our journey at church project and the, the ways that God's using Jason is to help churches make that shift that see that to see that coming. So when you think about, the churches that are watching today, the pastors that are listening to us, how would you help a church of 200 say, make that shift when they see that tide changing, you know, where, where you don't just create an empty model that looks like it's succeeding, but it's not. I think that's really profound. And when you say we're about making disciples and manifesting the kingdom, I think that's extremely important for every pastor to hear. So, but for, for someone who has a church of 200 or so, where do they start with the yeah. That, where, where do you, what's the starting point? Well, first of all, you know, it just starts with you as the pastor saying, who am I going to disciple? Like I need to be a disciple maker. Like I remember, uh, I don't know, it was probably 15 years ago now standing at the end of my driveway and I was in a very successful church, six or 7,000 people gathering on the weekend, baptizing hundreds of people every year. Um, but I was so busy running that, that I had stopped really being a disciple maker. Like I remember standing at the end of my driveway, looking around and realizing, I don't even know the names of my neighbors, two houses down. Yeah. Like if Jesus lived in my neighborhood, he wouldn't be like this. And God really broke my heart, you know? And I went in and I talked to my wife about it and repented and we started again. It's like, we're going to try to make disciples in our neighborhood where we live. That's what, that's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus asked us to do. So I would say to any pastor listening, like start with your, like with your marriage and with your kids and your current context. And there's so many great resources out there. Like go get Dave and John Ferguson's book, Bless. And it, it'll show you how to live like a missionary in your context and how to start living these missionary rhythms so you can make new disciples in a new context. So start with your own personal journey. And then you don't have to like blow up the whole church. Like what I tell pastors is basically create like a parallel pathway. Yeah. About 10% of the people in your church, they do want to do this. Like they, they, they know they want that more primal form of the church and create like a equipping gathering for yeah. them, create a different coaching pathway for them and invite them to go on the journey with you. Like, Hey, here's what I'm doing in my neighborhood. I want to ask you to go with me on this journey. And for example, we have tools that people can use. Uh, if you go to the missionarypathway.com, that seven-week training huddle for all of our new missionaries, that's available for free. Like you could take that, use that. There's so many good resources that are available now. Like you could do that seven-week missionary pathway, eight weeks through uh, John and Dave's book. It's like, man, you just had, there's a four-month plan. Go ahead and get started. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and don't worry about like changing all the structures and the systems in a big weekend series. Just get like 12 people 
yeah. take on a journey. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for a long time, I was really frustrated with the Lord. Um, in fact, I didn't realize what I was doing, but later I think he revealed to me that I was accusing him of being a bad steward mm. of mm. Uh, my calling. <laughs> like, God, why are you leaving me in the places you've had me in for this long? Um, and he made it really clear for me when it was time to go, and I was ready to do it, although I was afraid and nothing was fully formed. But he used the time in existing churches and different structures to help me, I think, prove what I did not want to continue to do, and also to help give a picture of how to help people make transitions later. Because at some point, I don't want to, and you don't want to, we cannot completely disregard no. the old forms and functions because they're existing. And right now, most believers are in those. So one of the churches, for example, that I'm helping consult right now, the, the struggle is what you just said, Rob, like, we want to go here, but we can't explode our church right now. We don't want to do that. And so I think let's, let's define what you're hoping to do. First, what are you biblically convicted about that a church should look like? And let's start to create expressions of that now. And it's going to become honestly so beautiful that other people are going to see it and want it. And I mean, I have full confidence that if somebody's in a homogenous small group, um, they, they're not living on mission together. They're not meeting each other's needs. They're not doing all the one another things we're called to do. They're just sitting and listening and occasionally hanging out. If they're just ex- ex- tasting that much of church, and none of that's bad, but it's not the fullness of church. If they're tasting this much and they see another group that's diverse and they're meeting each other's needs and selling their goods and possessions, I mean, we see that happen here in house churches all over. I think people in the church are going to go, well, this is good, but that's full. And I want the fullness of that. And so I agree with you, Rob, that that we, if if somebody's, well, I know that people are watching, we're getting questions come in and I know people are wrestling with these things. What do you do if you're in an existing church and there's complete resistance to what you're doing? I mean, at some point you have to maybe make the decision that you made, Rob, or that I've made. We're going to have to leave that context but there also may be a way in your context to plant some of these beautiful things and watch them grow and then spread. Would you agree with that? Yeah. In fact, I mean, it's easy to miss about the Kansas City Underground. We were birthed out of a prevailing model church. Like the, yeah. we were given permission to run this experiment. And what happened is we had different types of small groups. Like we had these, well, uh, what we'll call host groups, which is like, hey, it's a taster of a small group. Try a group for six or seven weeks. And then because we had an amazing small groups team, they had a really high conversion rate of getting those to become long-term groups, which we called life groups. And then there were some specialty groups like lifelines where it's like divorce recovery or addictions. What happened is as the micro churches emerged, we just added that to the continuum. So it's like, Hey, our church has host groups, life groups, and we have these other thing called micro churches. And these are full expressions of church. And that church was willing to allow that, to emerge and not be threatened by it. And the, and we created a separate coaching cohort for them, you know, where we're pouring into them and we're building into them and we're equipping them that eventually turned into like a year long training process. That's called the micro church learning community, where it's like, we're going to walk with you in this journey, in this process. 
And that church is willing to say things like, hey, we understand if you don't have time to volunteer in the programs of the church, because you're actually leading a church yeah. in your neighborhood. Like, yeah. you know, so there was permission given, you know, and it was, there was a validation, you know. Well, I think that's beautiful. And there may be people who are leading in a conventional, uh, as we understand, a conventional church construct. And, you know, you're never going to be a part of this, but you believe in it. Uh, maybe you can help start it like what you did. I mean, my, we had no funding when we left. We had, I say we had no people, no place, no name, no money. I mean, we had no nobody helping us at all. Um, but, you know, we had friendliness. Uh, there was, we didn't have animosity from anyone that I'm aware of, but we didn't have any help. I think it'd be great if there are churches watching, church leaders watching who say, hey, we can help people do this and we need to help people do this. I think a, one of the roles of a lot of existing churches um, could be you find people that go start these movements in your city or in other cities and you can help fund that. Yeah, um, we've got churches. We had a church in our city that we're very close with. We're, we're actually we've done some training with their staff. Uh, we're helping them launch missionary pathway training huddles at all their locations they, they wrote us a check for $40,000 a week ago to help us launch a new hub. They're like, we're going it, to, it's about $40,000 to like launch a hub and help support them for the first year until they're on their own feet. And they're like, we're just going to go ahead and pay for a whole one. Good. <laughs> we were like, this is crazy. Why not? Like, That's church planting. It, it is. <laughs> and they want to support this new way of being the church. It's actually an ancient form of being the church and they're kingdom minded, you know? Yeah. And I'm, and I just, I think prevailing model churches can get behind it yeah. um, by allowing experiments within their structures, but also like funding people that are doing this. Um, yeah. And, and there's more and better training than ever before too. Like we've started a partnership with Stadia. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called mm -hmm. the Hub Launch Cohort. Like we're training teams in eight different cities right now to launch hubs in their cities to support missionaries and microchurches. Good. Um, wow. And I think you're going to see more and more of those kind of uh, long-term, yeah, strategic, uh, worth investing in kind of initiatives. That's so good. I, I think that um, we all have to see ourselves as going after the same thing. Um, I actually think some things need to change, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing and you're doing what you're doing. But that doesn't mean that we have to be against each other. And so we don't speak against other forms of church. Uh, we're about Jesus. We're about his word. We're about making disciples. We're not speaking against other forms of church. And I know you don't either. And I don't think other forms of church need to speak against what you're doing or what I'm doing. I think let's all know that we're on a mission together. One of the things we say all the time in the underground is God's spirit enlivens and empowers every form of the church. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I'm, I'm for all of it. If, if Jesus is working in and through all of it, I want, I want to be for all of it too. Now that doesn't mean we can't critique what we're doing, but my critique and your critique, it comes from a place of love. Like I love the church. Yeah, like I'm giving my life to serve the church. And so right. my critique comes out of love and I'm not trying to smack anybody. I'm just like, let's just be honest about yeah. what doesn't work and what works, you know? Yeah. And right. I think, you know, for me, I think, man, I, I, I love how you said a little bit ago, we had a question come in about, you know, scripture, where does that fit? Like in what we're doing? Um, I mean, we don't ever use curriculum in any way. I mean, we're when we have our Sunday gatherings, we're just very simple gatherings. We say if the early church 
leaders weren't asking the question. We're not going to ask it either. And so, I mean, but we know they were teaching the word directly, rawly, simply. Um, They were praying for each other, giving, gathering. And so we'll do those things. I mean, the word is central to what we do. Our house churches, they're studying the scriptures together. And so I think I love that the word is central to what you do. It's central to what we do. And it's actually central for me. I, I tell people that want to critique this, um, I tell you what, you get your Bible, I'll get my Bible. I'll explain why we call it house church, uh, why we are formed the way we are. I'll explain why we do what we do with my Bible. And uh, why don't you bring your Bible and let's have that conversation together as well. And so I think as church leaders, we may have all of our doctrine together, but we at least need to be able to biblically explain uh, our theology of church. And Amen. so even in discipleship, you know, even here we eliminated curriculum and videos and all that stuff and just said, let's do it out of the word. And even that's what you said while ago is like every person has to themselves be a disciple maker and be word centered in what they're doing. And so we're teaching our people how to read the word, how to communicate it and how to make other disciples based on knowing how to interact with the content of God's word. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, there's a survey that's done, I think it's every year and it's either by Lifeway. I can't remember if it's Barna, but they do like the evaluation of how's the church doing in terms of heresy. You know, one of the things we get a lot is like, well, how do you guys make sure there isn't heresy? And my whole take is, Hey, have you seen the latest research? Your organized church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, much heresies in it. You don't yeah. think there's any in it because you're preaching on Sunday. But right. if you actually knew what was going on in your people's hearts and minds, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying you have as much heresy, if not more than we do. Now, yeah. the thing about what we're doing is every time microchurches are gathering, they're actually reading the Bible and discussing it and talking about obeying it and sharing it with other people. And what we find is the spirit of God and the word of God in a community like that is actually self-corrective. And then when you actually have elders who are disciple makers, the correction happens at the lowest level and things don't ever get crazy. You, what you just said, Rob, I, I hope people hold on to. Um, it's very important. I answered that question with somebody this week. We get it all the time. How do you protect against this? And I say it, the problem with theology in the church in America is very real. I don't think it's necessarily coming mostly from the pulpit, though. The fact of the matter is people, it, what we're sh- showing is that just hearing a sermon through a podcast or from a stage isn't really getting the word into people. And so when people are going to sit around a living room or a kitchen table with their Bibles open, with people from different backgrounds and perspectives, and we're going to wrestle through the word together. I mean, for us, we have our Sunday gathering where we're just teaching the word on its open, simple. I mean, our gathering so simple. And then people are getting around and they're wrestling through the word together. I mean, that's where I think heresy would be corrected. I think the problem is most people, as I say, we sit in a seat sometimes on a Sunday and sing some songs and listen to a sermon, and we're expecting that um, we're going to get great doctrine into people through a 30 or 40 minute sermon. No, yeah. they got to get down and wrestle with it together, have a community of believers where they hold each other accountable. Uh, that's where we're going to maturity is going to happen in that kind of environment. Yeah. One of the young ladies that's, you know, come to Jesus in our microchurch. Um, after she, after she was like awakened uh, four or five months in, she was like, I think I'm going to go to like a church service. And we're like, that's great. 
you should. You know, and she went for a couple of weeks, few weeks, and then she came back to our microchurch. She goes, it's weird. I'm like, everyone just sits there. No one talks to each other. I'm never going to be able to ask that guy up there who's talking a question. She's like, it wasn't what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And she stopped going, you know, and and I was like, that's okay too. You know, it's like the, we think I'm preaching this message. What we don't realize is so many of the people are sitting out there going, I don't think I believe that. But then they don't go talk to anyone about it. I would agree. And And I I almost feel like they have to hide it. If the Sunday gathering or the large gathering can parlay into your micro church or your house church. Come on. Great. If it doesn't, if it's a standalone thing, you're not going to be able to make disciples through a Sunday sermon from a stage. And I don't think those are bad. We do it every week, but we are completely dependent upon the house church for making disciples. We say every week, Jesus made disciples by teaching on a mountainside, by living life with people by the dozens, one-on-one and by meeting each other's needs. So we don't disparage the large gathering, but we don't elevate it as supreme or even the main way by which people are going to make disciples. But sadly, most churches, all their eggs are in the basket. As I've heard many pastors say Mm -hmm. in books and other things, it's Sunday stupid. And so, but it's not, it's not Sunday stupid. It's the believers living together in community, doing this together. Hey, Rob, you're so gracious to us because you have another thing you have to jump on at seven minutes. Nobody ever asked me to do anything. So I got plenty of time, but you, you got to be somewhere else at two. So you have two minutes left with us here. Um, I have greatly benefited, although we don't do things exactly the same way. We have a lot of elements that I think are threads through what we both do, distributed leadership, decentralized, scriptural-based conversations. Um, your books have been really helpful to me. You're a great writer, by the way. You're a great oh, thinker. And fantastic. one of the reasons why I think you're a great uh, writer is because you're a great thinker, but also like you live among the people. You know what I'm saying? You're not living in uh, you're not living in the seminary. You're living among the people. So could you tell people you think in your mind, the two greatest books that have been the most helpful? I, I think one of those at least will be Starfish and Spider that's come out. Yes, that uh, in terms of decentralized leadership, um, that book was very influential to me, um, even though Ori Brofman doesn't know Jesus. But um, it, it basically created like a set of language and images to help me go, oh, this is what leadership in the church should actually look like. And it was the inspiration for our book, um, The Starfish and the Spirit. Um, by the way, I'm not trying to like pimp my stuff, but. The book is actually on sale for $2.99 right now on Amazon. Right. So if you want to get it, it's less than a gallon of gas. Um, I, I, I think I wish every pastor would read Starfish in the Spirit. I Get it today for three bucks. Yeah. Another great, great one that was a game changer for me was Underground Church by Brian Sanders. Um, yeah. It was super helpful. Yeah. If you're considering kind of micro church and decentralized church. It's a great on, onboarding. That's really good. Rob, man. Thank you. Everybody else, if you'll stay on, we have a couple of things to wrap hey, up. One other thing too, there's a book called Church Project and <laughs> I highly recommend, I'm actually not all the way through it. I got it at uh, Expo Ventures and I highly recommend y'all dig into it because what you guys are doing, I think is going to be accessible to a lot more churches than what we're doing. We're a little bit further out on the decentralized end of things. Yeah, You guys are creating this beautiful hybrid that is still decentralized. The, the micro expression of the church is primary. 
but it's a, it's a closer, more accessible transition point. So um, I highly recommend if you're leading a prevailing model church, uh, start with the church project. You're kind. Thank you for that recommendation. And um, I keep giving your books out to people. Thank you for your time with us today. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Rob. Our spot, and we'll have some meals together in a couple of weeks. So thank you, Rob, for being here with us today. Uh, talk to it. you soon. Everybody All else, right. please stay for just a second. It was a blast. Grace and peace. You too. Thank you. Uh, some people are asking things like, What's the centralization look like at Church Friday? We actually own a building. I tell our people, you know, we seem to borrow it on Sundays for our gatherings, but it's used throughout the week. I mean, we have ministries use our space throughout the week. Today, there's two or three ministries using it. I don't even know who they are. We may have our building used by four or five different people at the same time during a day because we just want a space to be able to support ministries that are happening in the city. Uh, we're, we're doing more work with space. So if you're a church that has a space, let's figure out together how you can steward that space for the kingdom. That's what we do at Church Product. So we do meet weekly on the weekends for gatherings. Very simple. Uh, we don't have a phone number. We don't have a, a receptionist. We don't have an office complex for you for you to walk into. Uh, we don't have those things. We're really distributed into our leadership. So you want to get into our body. You can come on a Sunday but the only other thing to do is to get into a house church. And then our house church is going to teach you how to start serving in our city together. Something's coming up in the next few weeks that I hope you'll be a part of. I mean, I believe in it so much that we've purchased tickets for our team. We're going to be a part of those. And those are regionals that are happening for Exponential. Just to let you know, uh, you're seeing it pop up here. We're going to be at the Houston one where Rob is actually going to be speaking. So I get to see him and we're going to get to hang out around that time. But I want to remind you that Exponential has regional events this fall, four great cities. And mm. we're pursuing this conversation together, pursuing the great collaboration. There's free equip equipping labs around it. Uh, and they connect directly to the conversation we've talked about today about decentralized ministry. So there's a link here. So I hope that you'll Jump into those. The next two are in California, one in the Bay Area, one in Southern California. And then in October, we're going to be here in my city in Houston. So we're bringing a group there. I hope you'll join in one of those places. There's so many other things to uh, do with Exponential. So jump on the hub and see that. I'd encourage you to register today. There's special pricing for groups of five and groups of 10. And um, somebody else asked, can we get a quick, simple definition of decentralized? Yeah, for me, that would be how are we distributing leadership away from the clergy and away from the space. So uh, decentralized would look like, hey, we don't have a phone number for you to call to get connected to our church. You can find the house church closest to you, and that's where you're going to step into the body. And um, it's not led by clergy. So it's decentralized away from the building. It's decentralized away from the clergy. And we've distributed leadership to uh, people who wouldn't call themselves clergy otherwise, but they're pastoring people. And so uh, that's what decentralized means for us. It, stepping into a distributed leadership away from the clergy. And now what Ephesians says, a pat, our, our job as elders and overseers is to equip the people to do the work. And so uh, we're raising up people from everyday walks of life to pastor other people, to be deacons and deaconesses, which we would define as ministry leaders, people leading ministries in the city. So we're decentralized and distributed. Um, let me see if there's any other question. Dave, did you see any other one that we have one minute where you can answer? I think we uh, covered all of them. Great. Uh, we're perfect. 
Good. We hit all those things. Thanks for joining today. If you're here, it's because many love Jesus. And because you love Jesus, you love his church. And we're all pursuing these things together. So um, I look forward to us loving Jesus more and building the kingdom together and working in the church together. Thank you, Exponential, for all that you do you. Yep. for the church. Thank you, Rob, for joining us today. Dave, always good to be around. Always good love to be. Everybody. We love the together. church. Keep loving her. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.